Kia Welcome to the panel, RNZ National. David Cormack, Julia Hartley-Moore, you're loving the conversation whether or not uh, skiing is elitist. We might come back to that tomorrow. Here's one. Wallace, it is a rich man's sport. I should know. I'm surrounded by uh, middle-class Pākehā and Christchurch. They're all my friends. They're all tertiary educated, live in million-dollar homes with $60,000 kitchens and $5,000 labrus boodles. And the second car is the Nissan Leaf. Uh, the panel, RNZ National. Up first, Doc Director General Penny Nelson in a statement yesterday confirmed reports a staff member had ended their secondment to Cabinet Minister Kerry Allen's office early, more than a year ago, because working relations, relationships were not as running as smoothly as they might. Nelson said it was bad enough that she discussed it with Internal Affairs, which manages ministerial services, but no further concerns were brought to her attention, and she believed relationships had improved. Cabinet Minister Kerry Allen is rejecting the description of events provided. Uh, there have been issues over the years, haven't there, with regards to high-pressure work environment at Parliament. For example, an independent review by Debbie Francis into bullying at Parliament several years ago. Uh, one quote saying MPs were treated like gods with a master-servant relationship. Meanwhile, the Privileges Committee has found Education Minister Jan Tanetti did mislead Parliament due to a high degree of negligence but is not guilty of contempt in other politics news. Anyway, with us, Ben Thomas, commentator, former National Party senior staff member. Ben, good to have you on. Afternoon. You have worked in what could possibly have been one of the highest pressure offices in Parliament, then Minister Chris Finlayson. Give us an insight, Ben, for our listeners. Is it extreme pressure stuff? Yeah, look, it, it, it is. It's a, it's a high-pressure work environment, and that's because at every point you know that you're working you know, for the public, um, which sounds quite high-minded, but it also means that your mistakes will be on the front page of the newspaper. Uh, it means that uh, you know, your boss is going to be the target of political attacks uh, from, other people, you know, from other political parties. Um, it, you know, th- there are high risk, risks involved. There's huge workload involved. Um, you know, if you're the conservation minister, as Kerry Ellen was, if you're the treaty minister, like Chris Finlayson, um, you know, there's a huge amount of work, you know, physical work to get through, you know, stacks of paper on your desks. It, it's not a job that can be done, you know, I, I wouldn't think any of these jobs can actually be done sort of, you know, nine to five. No. Um, and, and they don't select for those kinds of people. Now, there, there is a distinction here, which is that the, the staff is involved, uh, you know, in, in what's been talked about recently, were private secretaries who were secondees from departments. So they're, they're different from political staffers. They, they will even occupy a different physical space in a minister's office. You know, they'll be in a room by themselves, away from, you know, the press secretary and the ministerial advisor, who will, you know, be sort of talking politics and party politics all day. Uh, and and, and the, the private secretaries are there to be a liaison and a link between the departments uh, and the minister's office. So they're basically kept down doing doing all the paperwork, keeping the department uh, or ministry up to date with what the minister's doing, what the minister's thinking and what the minister needs, uh, and they're yeah, keeping the minister informed about you know what's happening uh, at the agency. No, okay, no, stay there, Ben. Uh, let's uh, go uh, straight to our uh, panellists, see what questions thought they will have on this. Julia, let's start with you. 
Well, just I was thinking, like, is she an anxious person? Um, is she a controlling person? Because those things all reflect the the um, her personality. You know, will reflect how that office is run. So, I know that by I run an office. You know, you've got to. It is how it comes from me. How this office is run. So it'll be <laughs> whatever she's like as a person that reflects into how she's running. The office is that a fair comment, Ben? That this the the the, the character of the person, uh, you know, it gets moved down, reflected down. Oh, oh, look, absolutely. You know, from 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 even the starting point of of setting up your office, you know, there's the sort of joke that you know ministers, political advisors start looking like them. You know, kind of like people in their docks, um, <laughs> and. and uh, you, you know, and they definitely set the tone. You know, you have sort of, you know, studious, conscientious officers, you know, very political officers, very di- different ones. But the caveat there is that the, the, the secondes from the public service, because they didn't sort of opt into a political life, uh, you know, there are different rules for them. You, you do have to be, you have to be a little nicer to them. <laughs> and you, yeah. you have to be a lot more, you know, they, they didn't get, they didn't take this job because they loved the West Wing or the thick of it, you know, growing up. Um, and so, so, so you know, there's, there's the sort of history onics and theatrics that, you know, I, th- I think political stuff is sometimes kind of actually enjoy. You know, you keep that away from the departmental staffers uh, because that's mm. not their job. Well, David Cormack, you'll have views here. Yeah, I mean, like Ben, I've worked in Parliament as well and I know what it's like. A um, couple of things. Firstly, um, if you know if there is bullying in the office, that's real crap. I don't stand for for that sort of thing at all. Um, I know Kitatapu personally. I I've always found her really lovely and and pleasant company. But that doesn't necessarily mean that there hasn't been stink behaviour. But also, um, like she's come out and said that she's dealing with some mental health stuff, and that's not an excuse for for historic bullying. But I just think that maybe we should stop and reflect on that. And you know, everyone clapped Todd Muller when he was courageous enough to talk about him having to stand down because of mental health battles mm-hmm. and so I don't know why we, we we seem to be applying a different standard here um, where we're discussing you know the histrionics of her personality and raking over that um, and the fact that um, yeah the, the, the um, chief executive doc did raise it with ministerial services obviously means it was serious but the fact that no further action was taken obviously means that it didn't meet a certain threshold that would require yep. it to be taken further. Um, and so I just I just find the whole situation a bit gross and yuck. Is that is there anything in there? Is that a fair point, Ben, or not? Oh, well, yeah, look, first of all, I, when I was sort of referring to histrionics and theatrics, I wasn't, certainly wasn't referring to um, Three Tapu Ellen. Yeah, it wasn't more what you said, Ben. I think more of myself. Um, <laughs> I, know, I, I know all about you. Yeah, the uh, but look, look, I, I, you know, I mean, the mental health thing—it's a bit of a division in terms of this conversation, uh, because I don't think anyone's anyone's sort of saying that that was that that's related to uh, the incidents that are being discussed. I think you know, today it was the um, she spoke about uh, going through a breakup. Obviously, you know, take some time out. That's obviously a difficult situation. Um, you know, anyone should take three days out if they need that to be able to, you know, do their job at peak, peak performance. Um, but I, I don't think that should be. You know, sort of conflated with with um, this issue. The other thing is, I, I don't necessarily know that there has been any allegation of bullying. Um, the relationship not working could could be any number of things. It could be that uh, I mean, look, sometimes you get sent a dud 
from the department. You get somebody who's, who's actually not up to the, the, the hours or the tasks. Um, and, and sometimes there does have to be a hard, a hard discussion about sort of sending them back. Um, but, you know, the, conversely, you could have a minister who doesn't really understand you know, the boundaries of, you know, political versus public service stuff in their office. And there are also dud ministers. Did you hear what uh, David said there, Ben? There are also dud ministers, he replied. There there are plenty of dud ministers. Yeah, there are dud (laughs) ministers everywhere. And, 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 and And there can be a dud culture where ministers aren't properly inducted. I mean, Inexperience, you know, has been a problem um, in in this government since 2017. But because not, you know, they only had two or three people who had been ministers before, um, and so it's, you know, it's, you know, w- whether there has been that sort of institutional knowledge to kind of impart those skills. You know, there have been some other issues with MPs managing their offices, and that goes both across both parties, both major parties. Very interesting to have you on, uh, Ben. But, but before you go, though, I'm, I'm really interested in about that, you know, not a nine-to-five person. It's kind of tangentially related. But if, if you could give us an insight, I mean, working uh, for you know, the Treaty Negotiation Minister, what was, the work, what was your normal routine? What was, what was your day like? Look, I think, I think more that, you know, some of my colleagues would be... I mean, one of my colleagues actually, well, one of our secondees from a public from the public service, and you know, this was this was off their own bat. Um, you know, when the department found out the hours that she was working, you know, you know, it changed their policy um, because there is so much sort of, uh, you know, the, the people who are in these roles tend to really care about them, political and non-political. Um, and, and so it's, it's more of a case of, you know, when are you not? You know, you never really switch off. Yeah. You might be taking calls from whether it's from the media, whether it's from another office about policy. You know, it's all through the weekend. It's through, you, you don't get a rest. You, the, the, only, the only actual holiday I got in six years working there was when I went to North Korea and had to hand over my phone at the border. On that note, Ben Thomas, Kyoto, thank you for your time. I appreciate it. It's 17 past for the panel. If you've just joined us, we are uh, with David Cormack and Julia Hartley-Moore today. And our panel question this afternoon is uh, simply this, because the rail conference has been told that Auckland to Wellington is the perfect route for a sleeper train. I asked you whether you record going on the Silver Star in the 70s or the Northerner. We have been inundated with the most amazing memories of you going on the overnight uh, between those cities. Keep them coming, 2101. But to this, Wellington City Council have this afternoon voted against withdrawing from the Let's Get Wellington moving programme, this being a massive $7.4 billion overhaul of the capital's transport system. Now, we've had voices on the panel supporting it, um, the vehicle, the vehicle ban, and the zone named Golden Mile on Wellington CBD. But retailers made a last-minute plea for the council to drop the vehicle ban. With us is Retail NZ's Public Affairs and Advice Manager, Amy Hines. Amy, kia ora. Kia ora, Wallace. What's the general sentiment amongst local retailers? How would you sum it up? Um, look, I think local retailers were actually wanting some probably some sensible data in these projects before they have to progress, and they were calling on the council to take another look. You know, the fact that they actually really wanted the cost benefit looked at. They also wanted some real good economic analysis there about impacts on them, also about our freight and our e-commerce business impacts. That was the really key part thing. I think one of the key things here is is that 
the Golden Mile is probably a piecemeal project that probably should just be on hold, and that was where the retail sector was. They really want a project that delivers that would get rid of congestion, not this one here, which is going to cause more congestion and obviously have some undue impacts on them. Yeah, uh, it's, it's, uh, give us an insight, because one would think that... Um, if you're building these type of cycleways, and I've seen the modelling, I've seen the sort of the, the, the flyovers, fly-throughs, uh, you know, eco-proponents saying that this is going to bring more life into the city, and guess what? It's going to bring more people into the city, and thus people will shop. Look, I mean, it's, let's get behind Moving's own report, the retail impact report, actually says it hasn't quantified any economic impacts on retailers. And instead, it's just used quantitative data. I mean, we've talked, let's get willing to moving about actually what is the value proposition that we're trying to come from, which is actually getting people into the city. But let's get willing to moving's value proposition is to move people in mass past the city. And that's where the brothers, um, retailers really want a vibrant Wellington, um, but where let's get willing to moving their focus is, that doesn't align. Well, David, you're part of the city. You'd have travelled the Golden Mile uh, probably nearly every day. What's your take on this? That utter bananas, all of it. Like the if we if we have a better public transport network, then we'll need fewer cars on the road. So actually, we'll see less congestion in the first place because more people will be taking the public transport network because it'll be better and more reliable. Also, cities of equivalent size to Wellington all around the world, whenever they pedestrianise, the retailers actually do better from it because people feel better and more comfortable getting out and walking around to those places. Also, it's just bananas having cars go through that spine of the city. A pedestrianised city is infinitely better everywhere you go in the world. Everyone always says, oh, we can't be like Amsterdam because they're too developed. Well, you've got to start somewhere and become like Amsterdam. And walkable is just so much nicer. And I say this as an overweight guy who gets puffed going up like two stairs. But having a far more walkable city is just so much better. And I, some of the objections have been bananas. Like more Wilsons complaining when they have a car park on site that people can still come to. Like it's just absurd and it's just it's nimbyish and I just wish and I'm pleased to see that the, the motion has failed so that we can actually just get on and do it. Or right, stay there Amy, let's bring in Julia uh, and then you can respond to both Julia Hartley Moore. I agree. I actually agree because you know what? Walking walkable cities are fantastic. I mean they do it all over Europe. All these massive roadways that and if they're not closed all the time they close them some of the time so that no cars can go in. Um, and it's fantastic. And restaurants put their chairs and tables out on the actual roadway. So, I, and I also, like David was saying, you know, get off your backside and walk. It's good for you. If that, was, really if, if that were the case, both of you, and maybe Amy can suggest this, you'd think that one retailer uh, would put their hand up and say, hey, I'm for it. And if you are one of those retailers, I'd love you to get in touch with the panel. You can email me, the panel at rnz.co.nz. But all I've seen is uh, a, a, a plethora of retailers just not for this idea. Amy. Yeah, and I, I think you're right. I mean, yes, Paul Wilson stood up, but I think they, they stood up for the fact that they actually lost confidence in the city as a whole and what is the overall project of planning here. And that's what we're seeing. You know, we've got over 400 retailers who are significantly concerned about the projects not having what's going on. Look, let's be honest, Wellington is a walkable city, okay? Where the rest of the, rest of the country is going with their cities and design actually brings it in line with Wellington. But the issue here is that we've got at least six projects that are coming down the line here. That no, Yes, we've got some great visualisation 
one project, but over and all, over and over again, the measures and the impacts on them and not being happening. Like, Julia, I agree with you. It'd be great to have some outdoor dining space, but that's not part of the plan because that's not being measured in regards to let's do this stuff and that means that will drive those amenities of people here. As I said, none of those things that you guys all talk about has been delivered or measured in this data. And in fact, let's get Wellington moving continues to say that they don't need to focus on those areas of what goes on. This project is going to drive more congestion, the Golden Mile one alone. It's going to drive congestion up around around the country, around the Wellington city. What Wellingtonian businesses continue to say is let's actually deal with the congestion and let's look at some things and the way that we actually need some investment from right. here. This and is really dealing with, with the congestion. Like, this is a bananas argument because we're taking cars off the road because more people will be using David, public the transport. the case saves it itself. It's going to cause more congestion in other parts of Wellington. We've got three years alone of construction issues. The business case itself says... It's yeah, of course it's going to cause... Of course, while it's being... Because we're not dealing with the right issue here. And I think that's the point. You know, we can go and say more Wilsons is bananas or things like that. But you know what? I think we should be really proud there's over 400 Wellington businesses who want to have the right conversation, want to ensure that their spending on their money, which is their personal money and rates, but also their business rates, is going into something that's going to ensure a thriving, vibrant city. And they want to be part of that conversation to which they've been rebuffed, ignored, and their feedback is not incorporated into these documents. What do you mean they've been rebuffed and ignored? There was a motion this afternoon to pull out of the project that's very much being listened to it was voted on around the table and it was voted down i'm afraid that's democracy that's how it works mayor all right final comment amy well, I think the point here is, let's get Wellington moving as an agency itself, as failing Wellingtonians. It's not listening to what people have to say by incorporating all views and viewpoints. In fact, in their own engagement documents, they say, we will not be looking at these things because it's not what we're looking at. We won't take on this feedback. It's a hell of a lot of money to spend when there's too much at risk and it needs to be you. Nice one. Right. Nice to have you on, Amy. Kia ora. Appreciate your time. That's Amy Hines, the Retail NZ's Public Affairs and Advice Manager. You're clear. <laughs> You're clearly uh, both not uh, for Amy's point of view. Look, I'll tell you what I would like to hear. Uh, if you are one of those uh, 400 uh, retailers, might be against it. But if you are a t- retailer and you are for Let's Get Wellington Moving, I would love to give you a platform tomorrow afternoon and come on the show and explain to me why you're for it. Email me, the panel at rnz.co.nz. Uh, 26 past four, David Cormack and Julia Hartley Moore with me. Now, as we discussed yesterday, well-known celebrity chef John Mountain uh, wants to ban vegans after a diner made a complaint about the lack of vegan options on the menu and was charged $34 for a bunch of vegetables. All vegans are banned, end of, no more, never again. God help them. Well, this is what Gary Moore, panellist, said on the panel yesterday. Look, I, I might be a heretic, but um, I've I've had lots of debates with vegans, and, and they do get quite hysterical quite quickly. <laughs> with us now is a vegan of 25 years, John Marinovich, oh, sorry, Jonah Marinovich. Welcome, Jonah. Hi, how's it going, Wallace? 
Very well. Thanks for being with us. So, are you uh, nice and calm? Are, are you nice and calm? Oh, oh, look, I could switch to hysterical at any moment. <laughs> Why and how did you become vegan or vegan? Um, I became vegan as a gradual process. I went vegetarian in about 1994, I think. And uh, that was just because I was living with other vegetarians and I was a young guy and we all did the same stuff. So I just became vegetarian because they were, but I really enjoyed the diet and and felt a lot better on it. So I never looked back really. And and then uh, a few years later, I was volunteering in a a food co-op and there were a lot of vegans around who were doing a really sort of, you know, healthy whole foods kind of veganism. And it seemed like a, a good time to have a go. And here you are now, 25 years on, when you see a very rare buttery steak with a little bit of tartare on the side, do you get sad? Oh, I just can't help myself, you know. I, I have to go start, go home and start sticking pins in my arms. No, I don't, I don't really care. It's, it's fine. I mean, I, I think, you know, when, when you're younger, you, you, when you start, I mean, I know a lot of long-term vegans who are still extremely sort of passionate about it. I, I've probably mellowed over the years. And, um, uh, but I think uh, I, I don't really feel the need to... Uh, to make Get a on the point out of every moment. Stay there, Jonah. Let's bring in uh, Julia. Mm. What do you think? I'm a vegan. Well, I'm just. <laughs> you're on the panel. What do you think? I know. I I I um I'm a vegetarian. Oh yeah. Um, but I'm not. Yeah yeah t- yeah totally I am. And um, but I think that chef was right, quite frankly, because I'm not going to go to a steakhouse and ask you know and kick up a stink if I can't get what I want to eat. No. Um, but I think you've got to be relaxed about it. So that's what you are. That's what you are. That's good. Uh, people can eat yeah. meat. I don't mind. Oh. Do what you want. Oh, in, <laughs> in my experience, going to a restaurant where they don't really like sort of vegans or vegetarians, you, you're not going to have a very good experience anyway. So I think this guy's sort of uh, somewhat making a redundant statement, I uh, would say. David. I have found that vegans, like people in polyamorous relationships, feel compelled to tell you about their lifestyle all the time. And that's fine. You're polyamorous as well. See? There we go. Bang on. And so that is... I'm polyamorous. That I'm just is, having you on, mate. Oh, God. You're a bit of a card, Jonah. You're a bit of a card. Good on you. Welcome. Uh, keep going, David. But I, I just, you know, just let people live. You know, if you want to be a vegan, that's fine. I just don't care. You know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna force feed you with 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 my meat, and so I don't expect to hear your views on my eating of it. <laughs> so, David, when you when you see a nice rare buttery steak with a bit of tartare on the side, you definitely don't walk past. Well, no, not tartare. That's plebeian. I would have um, cafe patty butter, thank you very much, and it would be blue, not rare. Um, but no, absolutely not. But also, I recognise that eventually we're all going to go vegan because goodness me, the world is going to we're going to need to. And so I accept that. So I'm just enjoying I'm enjoying meat while I still can. All right. Hey, good on you, Jonah. Thanks for listening, Kira, and good to have you part of the panel. Yeah, thanks, Wallace. That's uh, Jonah Marinovich there. He's been a vegan of 25 years there. Uh, a big response regarding let's get Wellington moving both for uh, and against. Grafton Street, Dublin, was petitionised years ago but does remain open to commercial traffic up to a certain time. Everyone is a winner there. 
I find after 35 years as a vegetarian, it is meat eaters who ask me why I am so. They are the ones who seem obsessed, says Colin. You are on the panel. I've had that. Yes, have you? Yes, yes, people are asking me, why why don't I eat meat? Do do I miss it? Um, I mean, I've only been a vegetarian since 2018, but I've been one, and I'm. But I've always liked vegetables. But it's interesting how people view yeah. you when you go. It's like if you only have a glass of wine. Don't have another one. Have yes. another one. Yeah, I'm a uh, non-drinker, so I get the reverse. But also, vegetarians' farts smell worse. Well, I like gorillas. Right? Have you been up and seen the gorillas? Is that a scientific fact? Because well, we need to know. Well, no, it's just my experience of of smelling vegetarian. I mean, I'm not in the habit of like actively going in search of people. What do you do? Yeah, but I'm just <laughs> saying that vegetarians' farts smell worse. Well, we need to find the answer to that, David, don't we? Uh, clearly, uh, you're on the panel on RNZ National. It's time for headlines. <laughs> 